0: You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again from Toronto, where spring has almost arrived. I'm Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, bringing you five articles which I believe will be of particular interest to the readership. The first paper to discuss is entitled Associations Between Methotrexate Use, and the Risk of Cardiovascular Events in Rheumatoid Arthritis Patients by Whittafel and Colleagues. There is an accompanying editorial entitled Methotrexate in Our Heart by Holmquist and Young, which I encourage all to read along with the Wittefeldt paper. As you may have guessed from the title, the objective of this paper was to examine the associations between methotrexate use and the risk of cardiovascular events in patients with RA. Using health administrative data from Ontario, Canada, the investigators looked at an inception cohort of almost 24,000 patients, 67% female with an RA diagnosed after their 65th birthday in order to determine if methotrexate influenced the development of cardiovascular disease. They use multivariable Cox regression models to evaluate the associations between time varying methotrexate use and time to cardiovascular events. They found that over more than 115,000 patient years, 13.7% of the patients experienced a cardiovascular event, which equals 28.5 events per 1,000 patient years. Read the paper to find out the risk reduction of cardiovascular events that was associated with methotrexate use. This paper also explores how time to starting methotrexate and the duration of methotrexate therapy influence the risk reduction associated with its use. The editorial puts this study in the bigger context of the potential of methotrexate to reduce cardiovascular risk, and the editorialist suggests that it is possible that methotrexate may have a place with statins and antihypertensins in cardiovascular protection in high-risk patients with RNA. The second paper is entitled Cost-Effective Tapering Algorithm. In Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis, Combination of the Multi-Biomarker Disease Activity Score, or the MBDA, and Autoantibody Status, and it is by Hagen and colleagues. This paper, too, has an accompanying editorial entitled Value of the Multi-Biomarker Disease Activity Score to Predict Remission in RA. What does the evidence show by Fleischman? The editorial gives Fleischman's take on the value of MBDA in clinical practice. Everyone and their brother or sister wants a biomarker to objectively determine disease activity in RA to predict flare or response and or to guide therapy changes. These investigators examine the effect of the risk stratified tapering algorithm based on the MBDA score and the ACPA status in patients with RA in a sustained remission. This is a post hoc analysis of a multi-centered prospective, open, randomized study called the RETRO study. This study evaluated the risk of having a relapse of RA after tapering or stopping treatment in patients in sustained remission. The details of this study have been previously published. But briefly, patients either were continued on DMARDS, were assigned to a tapering the DMARDS dose by 50%, or stopping DMARDS after a tapering regimen. Patients were then followed over a year period, and direct treatment costs were evaluated every three months. MBDA and ACPA status were used as predictors in creating a risk stratified taping algorithm based on relapse rates. Read the paper to find out how MBDA score in combination the ACPA status performed in predicting relapse risk and what the author's suggestion is on how to use these measures in helping DMAR tapering. Of course, as expected, successful DMAR tapering was associated with significant cost savings. In the accompanying editorial, Dr. Fleischman reviews the history of MBDA use. He points out that most studies are post hoc analysis of studies with another primary outcome and were rarely the primary outcome variable. He also gives his opinion on the value of MBDA in clinical decision-making. I believe this paper and the editorial associated with it are important reading for anyone interested in biomarkers and clinical decisions in RA. Third paper is entitled, Disease Damage Influences Cardiovascular Risk Reclassification Based on Carotid Ultrasound in Patients with Systemic Lupus Erythematosus and is by crevedo. Aboledo, and colleagues. These investigators examined the value of adding carotid ultrasound to the cardiovascular risk stratifications in patients with SLE. This was a cross-sectional study from two centers that examined carotid intima media thickness and carotid plaques using ultrasound in 276 SLE patients these measures were in addition to the standard lipid profile the score classification cardiovascular risk disease activity as measured by the sleid disease severity and the damage as measured by the SLEC acr damage index the investigators found that 36% of the patients had carotid plaques however only 6% of the patients fulfilled the definition of high or very high risk according to the SCORE cardiovascular risk classification. Read the paper to find out what percentage of patients were reclassified as high risk following the assessment by ultrasound and what clinical and laboratory factors were associated with this reclassification. The next article to highlight is different from most articles that I highlight. And it is entitled Position Statement A Pragmatic Approach for Medical Cannabis and Patients with Rheumatic Diseases by FitzCharles and colleagues on behalf of the Canadian Rheumatology Association. Canada, following the lead of Uruguay, became the second country to legitimize marijuana countrywide. However, we all know that both recreational And medical use of marijuana is widespread throughout the world. The main use of medical marijuana in patients' with rheumatic diseases is for pain. This article reviews the evidence in support or lack of support of the benefits of the use of cannabis in rheumatological diseases, which include fibromyalgia, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and chronic back pain. A major purpose of this paper was to facilitate a dialogue between patients and healthcare professionals on the use of marijuana. I believe this article is important reading to all healthcare professionals involved in care of patients with rheumatic diseases. Final article to highlight today is entitled Standardizing Terminology and Assessment for Oral Facial Conditions in Juvenile Idiopathic Arthritis international multidisciplinary consensus-based recommendation, and is by Storstrup on behalf of the TMJ Juvenile Arthritis Working Group. Involvement of the temporomandibular joint, or TMJ, in JIA can lead to significant morbidities that include facial deformities and may interfere with the ability to eat with significant consequences on quality of life. The approach to treatment of this condition involves multiple disciplines that include pediatric rheumatologists, orthodontists, pediatric dentists, oral maxillofacial surgeons, radiologists, physiotherapists, and oral facial pain specialists. The purpose of this study was to develop a multidisciplinary consensus-based standardization of operational terminology and method of assessment for TMJ involvement in JA. This paper is a result of many years of meetings and discussions by this collaborative group consisting of the above named specialists. The group developed the seven standardized operational terms that defined TMJ arthritis, TMJ involvement, TMJ arthritis management, dental facial anomaly, TMJ anomaly, TMJ symptoms, and TMJ dysfunction. The establishment of common language is important in order to optimize care of this important joint, JAA. This is important reading to all physicians, dentists, and allied healthcare professionals who are involved in the care of children and adolescents with JAA. I want to thank you all for listening to my review of what I felt were particularly interesting articles which appeared in the May 2019 issue of the Journal of Rheumatology. I hope my summaries will lead you to reading not only these articles, but in fact all the articles in the May edition of the journal. Please read either the print edition or the online edition, which can be found at www.jroom.org. If you have any comments on this summary or any articles appearing in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. I hope you will listen next month for my editor's picks for the June 2019 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology.